The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you're very perceptive and listen very carefully, you would have heard an extra word in the title of our show. This is what used to be Business Innovation with Game Changers Radio, and now we're calling ourselves Business Network Innovation, thanks to the brilliance and the foresight of our sponsor, Jeannie Trin at SAP Ariba. So thank you, Jeannie, and I know she's listening. Let me get started. What a good show we have for you today. What's the buzz on the street? Your number one business wish for 2016. Guess what? It is already the what? 26th of January 2016. We're almost 8% into the year and we're still talking about predictions. So if you're hoping for a crystal ball, well, who isn't? To see what 2016 holds for your company, your industry, the world, we've got the next best thing. At least we think we do. Today you're going to hear predictions from three very inspiring thought leaders on the technologies, the strategies, strategies and the trends that can help your business network grow. See, I got that word network in there. Grow and compete better in 2016 and beyond. And what else is there besides that? So let me introduce our panelists. They're no strangers to SAP Radio. Delighted to welcome back. They're an awesome threesome. Headed up first by Barbara Giamanco, head of Social Centered Selling. And she sent me a quote from Jerry Gregoire. little hard to pronounce. It's French, G-R-E-G-O-I-R-E. He is the CIO of of Dell Corporation. And here's the quote. The customer experience is the next competitive battleground. Barbara Giamanco, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back again. We are delighted. Always, It's always high energy with you on a panel, Barbara Giamanco. <laughs> so how did you come to pick this quote from Mr. Jerry, I'll just call him, because the last name is it. Well, Gregoire, I took French. I can do that. How did you find this? It's a fascinating quote. Well, you know, as I'm going to talk about in the show, customer experience is where I think sales and marketing and service leaders need to be paying a lot of attention. And because we know from various research, uh, Bonnie, that buyers have said, some 80% have said that they'll pay more for a great experience, but unfortunately they think about only 1% of vendors deliver. So I really do believe that those organizations that can create great customer experience from the very first touch point and beyond are the ones who are going to win the competition. And so that's why that quote spoke to me. I think you're absolutely right. And and as we get into our conversation in the show, Barbara, I hope that you will talk a little bit about what makes up a great customer experience because it's 2016. Expectations have changed. Uh, we have 
companies that know how to do this extraordinarily well. We have companies that fall flat on their faces and don't even know what they're doing wrong and don't seem to even care. So we'd love a little advice from you, especially from your position as head of social selling, social-centered selling, and that word social is, is sneaking in there in what you do, Barbara. So I'm looking forward to a lot more from you. Thank you for starting us off. Second Thank you. up on the my pleasure. Second up on the panel is Mike Schultz, also a returning panelist. He's the president of RAIN Group, R-A-I-N, all in caps. It's a, an important word. And director of the RAIN Group Center for Sales Research. And Mike has sent me a wonderful quote from Henny Youngman. Now, if you're very young, meaning anybody under what, 60? I don't know. You might not remember who Henny Youngman was, but he was a comedian famous for the one-liner. And here is a one-liner. It's actually two sentences, but it's seamlessly connected. By the way, Henny Youngman lived from 1906 to 1998, and he was very well-known. He's a real fall-down, funny kind of guy because you just wanted to fall down laughing whenever he spoke. So here is the quote that Mike Schultz has selected. I told the doctor I broke my leg in two places. He told me to Quit going to those places. Mike, how am I going to do the show? Mike Schultz, how dare you? How are you, Mike? Happy New Year. I'm doing very well. Happy New Year to you and everyone listening. Thank you. Thanks for picking a quote that made me laugh. How am I going to host the show, Mike? It's all your fault now. Well, my, 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 my faith in you is high. <laughs> Thank you. As <laughs> long as I'm not standing up on the two places I broke the leg. He's, I think it wasn't he the originator of Take My Wife, Please? Was that Henny Youngman also? Uh, I think it was Henny Youngman, yes. Yeah, I'm going to look that up in my spare time. So tell me, how does this quote, how in the world does this quote apply to our prediction show here on Business Network Innovation Radio, Mike? Well, I think one of the things that is common across businesses, but it's true of the sales organization, is that sellers make the same mistakes all the time. And when sellers make the same mistakes, if they're selling in a complex, uh, if they're in a complex sale, they might be selling for nine months with all their resources and with all their energy, making the same mistakes and walking away uh, with nothing. And the same thing is true of sales organizations. They think we need to do this to be able to drive our sales higher. We need to do that. And they make the same mistakes. So the idea is uh, stop making the same mistakes and getting your leg broken in two places uh, and instead figure out what's actually going to work for you uh, and change what you do. Interesting, Mike. Going back to my comments on Barbara Giamanco's quote, I was saying I don't know if every every organization that needs to deal with the public in one way or another, whether it's online or face-to-face, and what company that sells something doesn't have to deal with customers, I don't know if they all care. But your quote basically says, I told the doctor, meaning I knew something was wrong. I went to see somebody who can potentially and hopefully fix it, and I knew what the problem was, or at least the description of the outward symptoms. So I think we're on the right track. Mike Schultz, thank you so much, and looking forward to a lot more words of wisdom from you. And now let's welcome our third panelist. She is also returning. I said it was an awesome threesome, and I wasn't kidding. It's Tamara Schenk, Research Director of CSO Insights, a division of MHI Global, and the company has changed its name. Tamara has sent me a wonderful quote from Jack Welch. You all know he was the chair and CEO of General Electric between 1982 and 2001. Of course you all know that. Here is the quote. An organization's ability to learn and translate that learning into action rapidly is the ultimate competitive <clears throat> advantage. Tamara, welcome back. Happy New Year. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks, Bonnie, for having me again. Oh, we're delighted to have you back. You're calling from Germany today, right? Where are you? Yes, I do, yeah. <laughs> so talk to me about this quote. How did you pick a quote from Jack Welch? It's so perfect for our show tomorrow. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, um, I think uh, what's very often missing uh, is strong leadership, and, and sales leadership is a very specific area, and uh, learning is uh, uh, very much connected to this because um, the world we're living in is, is changing constantly. Uh, our customers' environments are changing. <clears throat> the environments of our own organizations are changing. So learning is definitely a prerequisite that we need to have as an attitude that we can adapt to all these changes in the right way. And, and learning today, that doesn't mean that we train skills or something like that. It, it means more we need to learn the principles of how to navigate uh, these dynamics in, in our environments and then to learn how to apply these principles in, in a complex world. And um, we'll come to that later with <laughs> the predictions, what it means specifically. But learning is a key element. Thank you very much. I, I, t- tomorrow, we, you've helped to uh, round out what we are establishing here. I think we see a theme and a thread. And I have to tell our listeners that we don't say to our panelists, you have to come up with a quote with exactly the same words or pieces of the same puzzle. They come up with inspirational quotes that matter to them in their work and their lives. And it's just interesting that these all link together very, very nicely. So, Tamara, thank you very much. And let's go back to Barb Giamanco. Barb, you know what I'm going to ask you. Let's do it a little differently. Instead of what's in your cup today, do you you have anything fabulous that you were drinking to celebrate New Year's, Barbara? I'll give you that option. Uh, Well, yes, on New Year's, I always love a great Prosecco. So, you know, who wasn't doing a little celebrating with that? Um, So, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of what I was doing today. Nothing so fancy. It's a little early in the day for my glass of Cabernet, Bonnie, but I am drinking a big glass of ice water with lemon. Oh, that sounds good. And um, do you squeeze a lemon right in or do you squeeze it separately and strain it or, or how do you apply the lemon? I'm, I'm, I want some details here, Barbara. <laughs> Tap into my, my love of cooking. Yes, my, my, my process for preparing my, my, uh, my lemon water is pretty, is pretty easy. Ice, water, and squeeze a lemon. <laughs> Thank you very much. I know some of us squeeze the lemon like some of the cooks on TV. Do you squeeze it between your fingers to keep the pits and the pulp from going in? So I was wondering if you strained it or you just, you're just a purist. Let it all go in. Yes? I just let it rip. All right. I had a feeling you did. Thank you very much. Mike Schultz, where are you calling from and what are you drinking or what was your New Year's Eve celebratory beverage, Mike? Well, let's start with the, the what's in my cup. Uh, so today we're going to go with Viagra. Uh, excuse me? Ex- yes. uh, hold on. I think I've done a thousand of these shows. I, all I can say is this is a first. I won't say what's up, Mike. Mike, what are you talking about? Okay. So um, I, you asked me where I was. I am joining you from, um, from a parent room at uh, lovely Boston Children's Hospital where my uh, son is inpatient. He's three years old and he is a, a fairly complex cardiac patient. Uh, oh. And he is on Viagra uh, along with a whole bunch of other medications. And uh, he takes it via a little syringe in his mouth. Uh, and he hasn't felt well. And his uh, throat's been bothering him a whole, along with a whole bunch of other things. So yesterday, um, I, I was trying to get him to take his medication. I've been sleeping here at the hospital for a number of days. Uh, and he said, no, you do it. And he squeezed it. 
literally into my cup. So I thought, oh, well, I guess that's uh, what's in my cup today. I was uh, searching for inspiration for you, and there it was. Uh, But needless to say, I am feeling particularly energetic about today's interview and looking forward to it. Oh, Mike Schultz, what a trooper you are. I'm just going to say prayers and hugs to your son and little butterfly kisses. And I hope now now, you had me laughing before. Now you've got me in tears. Mike, you're very disruptive today, but you're quite the trooper and quite the adoring dad. And... uh, Wow, that's all I can say as well. Thank you for sharing that. That was a very tender story, and and I appreciate it. Thank you. Not what we expected, but that's what live radio is all about. Thank you, Mike, and I send all good wishes, as I know Barbara and Tamara and everybody who's listening to to your son for a very quick recovery. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness gracious. You took my breath away, Mike Schultz. Okay. Tamara, (laughs) Schenk, you're in Germany. I'd asked you before where you're calling from. I don't think you were able to hear me. So where are you right now, Tamara? I'm in my home office in Wiesbaden in Germany. (laughs) And what time of day or night is it? And what's the weather there? Yeah, it's uh, 6.15 p.m., so I uh, decided not to put my glass of wine on during the call, so I will do that later (laughs) on. Um, I'm currently, um, yeah, um, simply here with a, a glass of fresh filtered water. Oh, nice. And you, are you going to put lemon in it like Barbara did and celebrate with that? Yeah, sometimes I do. I do that in the morning because it's uh, refreshing your whole system. I don't do it during the day, <laughs> but it's earlier for you, of course. <laughs> Thank you very much, and thanks for joining us, Tamara. And uh, those, the three of you may remember that I am not allowed to drink caffeinated beverages on radio show days, but I do have my beautiful brand new red to go with my red kitchen, red Nespresso Aero. I have the virtual line with the Arachino uh, separate machine for frothing and warming the milk. I'm actually using a little heavy cream these days, and after the show, I will have a half-calf or a decaf with a lot of milk and a lot of foam on it, and I can't wait. But no caffeine, even half-calf for me during the show. I am talking right now with three extraordinary, I'll call them visionaries, I I think they've earned that. Barbara Giamanco, the head of Social seller, social Centered Selling. Barbara, that's a mouthful. Mike Schultz, president of RAIN Rain Group and director of the Rain Group Center for Sales Research. And Tamara Shank, research director of CSO Insights, a division of MHI Global. And a shout out to Jeannie Trin at SAP Ariba, who sponsors the series. This is season two. We're talking about business network innovation. This is our 2016 prediction special. We've got a lot more for you, Kick off the season and delighted you could join us so i'm just going to say to michael our engineer don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial michael out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network business has never been more complex than in today's networked economy To thrive, companies must adapt and innovate. They must harness the wealth of information now available to enable smarter decision-making. They must enable effective collaboration among employees and with customers and suppliers. They must optimally deploy enterprise resources. And they must make this simple. Join our experts as they discuss how your business leaders can drive innovation that positions your company for continued success. 
Business Network Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers. Here we are speaking today with Barbara Giamanco, Mike Schultz, and Tamara Schenk. And our topic today is 2016 predictions. Yes, we all want those. And it's still early enough of the year. It's only fe- only January. Here I go. Only January 26, 2016. So we can still say Happy New Year. Or we can still say what are we predicting for the year ahead. We're going to kick off the roundtable portion of the show right now with Barbara Giamanco. And Barbara sent me some interesting notes here. Let me read a line and have Barbara expand. She says the CEB, and I'll have her explain who that is. The CEB reported that 94% of customers who have a low effort service experience, meaning, yeah, that was good for me, they will buy from that same company again. And here's the kicker. They're willing to pay more, which says to me, Barbara Giamanco, that they know it's hard to come by a low effort service experience. Barbara, tell us, who is the CEB? What was the context of this survey? And what does this mean for businesses listening to us today? Absolutely. Well, CEB, uh, they go by CEB now, but they used to be uh, called the Corporate Executive Board. So um, I think there's a lot of uh, folks out there who would know who they are. Uh, and, and the context is, you know, as I think about customer experience, Bonnie, yes, I'm very, very focused on the sales side of the business. And I, I think too often organizations think that customer experience is, is all about the customer service department, and it's not. Quite frankly, everyone in the organization is responsible for creating that great experience. And if you stop and think about it, salespeople are often the front line, right? They're the first person to interact with someone who might become a prospective customer. And unfortunately, there's high expectations and often they're not being delivered. We can talk more about the quality of poorly written uh, sales spam that's sent out and cold calls that have no value or they're just a pitch to buyers and all these things, right, from that very first moment. It's kind of like that old saying, you never get a second chance to make a great first impression. Well, that's really impacting, I believe, uh, sales organizations' abilities to, to, you know, funnel more leads and opportunities into the pipeline because they're shooting themselves in the foot straight out of the gate. Mm, interesting. Mike Schultz, you want to add on to that? Uh, sure. So, you know, it's, uh, of course, I, I completely agree. Uh, and uh, the Rain Group Center for Sales Research, we actually uh, studied this. So we studied the likelihood of uh, buyers to indicate that they are going to buy again, not mm-hmm. just based on the service experience, um, which has been done by the CEB. It's also um, been done, um, everyone should take a look at research like putting the service profit chain to work from 1994 Harvard Business Review article uh, that showed that a five out of five satisfaction is six times more likely to equal uh, repeat business than simply a four out of five satisfaction. So uh, what we wanted to do was study that from the, not just the sales experience, but from the, ser- uh, from the service experience, but from the sales experience. 
does a buyer's experience with a seller indicate that they are likely to purchase again? And it was highly statistically correlative, uh, meaning that when, when buyers were more likely to say that they were satisfied with the service experience, uh, it was a correlation, and as well, we ran what's called a key driver analysis, and it was a key driver of their likelihood to buy again. So the thing to add is that it's true of service experiences. When they're satisfied with their service experience, they'll buy more. Uh, but it's wild in that even before they purchase, they will buy more based on literally their experience with the seller. Absolutely. Mm, interesting, interesting. And, uh, yeah, experience is key here. Tamara Shank, love to get your thoughts on this. Uh, agree, disagree, challenge? Where are you, what's your position on, on what we're talking about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that the customer experience is key to success uh, uh, without any doubt. I agree on that. Um, what we've seen, where does it come from? How can I create this kind of customer experience? And this is for us a buying experience. Uh, and it's then the service, the implementation, the adoption experience. And what we've seen in one of our latest research uh, projects is that organizations have done a lot of work on how to align uh, their sales process landscape to the customer's journey, to the entire customer's journey, but there is still a lot of work to do to translate this uh, advantage into very valuable uh, services that help salespeople not to pitch but to create value four different buyer roles along the entire customer's journey. And that's what Barb said. We have so many bad emails that are around and only talk about uh, the products and the company and how wonderful they are. And that's not creating an experience for prospects and buyers because it doesn't mean anything to them. Uh, so I have to translate um, all these messages to what matters to them. And that depends on where they are along their customer's journey. That creates this great experience. And um, yes, there are great data points uh, out there. What we've also seen in our research, the companies really execute what we call these customer core strategies. They have uh, almost 10% better revenue. They have 13% better um, quota attainment uh, rates. And they have up to 38% better conversion rates from leads to opportunity, which is also very important if we walk through the customer's journey. Interesting. What kind of, what industries are we talking about? Uh, anybody want to chime in? Barbara, are any particular industries you're referencing? And Mike and Tamara, are we talking about uh, walk-in retail stores? Are we talking about the online selling experience? Are we talking about companies that have both? Are we talking about retail goods, appliances? Uh, are we talking about, I don't know, anything? Are we talking about fashion? Are we talking about uh, health, beauty? What are we talking about? Barbara? Well, I'm, I'm specifically referring to what's happening in business to business and primarily with the work that I do with technology and telecommunications companies. Mm-hmm. We also see this breaking down a lot with SaaS organizations, software as a service. There's, you know, there's, there's the thinking with respect to some of these technology products. Hey, if we just build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and the truth is, as, as Tamara just said, it's about creating value right from that first first instant, whether it's online or offline, that you get an opportunity to make uh, an impression. And what I don't think a lot of companies realize is that 
they're often, their people are out there sending out these messages and maybe they're not as customer and buyer centric as they should be. They're not adding any value. It's perceived as spam. And what ends up happening, Bonnie, is that is actually damaging the credibility of the brand overall. So I'm a huge believer that there should be a lot more oversight into the ways that salespeople are communicating, right? So again, first touch point and then what is it like, as Tamar said, all the way through the buyer's journey, becoming a customer, and then beyond. And I just feel like sometimes that is so overlooked. And so to to Mike's quote, what the heck? People know this. This is not brand new news. I'm just not sure why more sales organizations aren't paying attention to how important it is. Very important. I have to tell all three of you, Mike, before I'm going to segue into some of your discussion notes here, Mike. I get a call about three to four times a week now. It's a robocall and a very pleasant female voice. As soon as I see where it's from, at least there's a location rather than who's calling, the voice says to me, you're probably tired of getting these calls about your Google listing. And as soon as I hear that, I say to Ms. Robot, you're damn straight I am. And I hang up. I swear it happens. It's happened three times this week already, and it's only Tuesday. You're a pro- I mean, somebody knows, yeah, I'm really tired, but they keep hitting the button on my phone, and they keep calling me with that. So I digress. Thank you, Barbara. Uh, Mike, I want to talk a little bit about, you say the Rain Group just released a top-performing sales organization benchmark research, and it analyzed data from 472 sellers and executives representing companies with sales forces ranging from 10 to 5,000 or more sellers. That is a huge range. Mike, talk to me a little bit about when do you do the study annually when was it completed what kinds of companies let's level set your research and then we'll we'll talk to you about it and then we'll have Barbara and Tamara chime in go ahead Mike uh, sure so a couple of years ago we launched uh, a study that was ridiculously popular called what sales winners do differently and you asked the question earlier you know who are we talking about with the satisfaction and that study we studied 731 actual business to business purchases from buyers that represented $3.1 billion of purchasing power. So they were mostly um, mostly large companies and senior level decision makers. So that was really popular. So we wanted to ask the same question, not just of sellers, but of organizations. What sets apart those sales organizations that uh, perform better than the others, the ones that don't get their legs broken in two places all the time? So... Mm. Well, first, we had to start with a, a definition. Well, what do we mean by top performers? So we saw a whole bunch of different kinds of things out there, but we wanted to focus somehow on business results. So, of course, the sellers had to meet their goals, but we didn't want it to just be that the goals, you know, they met their goals because what if their goals were easy? So they had to meet their goals. The goals had to be challenging. Uh, they had to increase their revenue uh, from year to year, um, that their average win rates on their proposals needed to be higher than the rest, and that they were able to achieve maximum pricing in line with their value. So we figured those are the kinds of things that most sales organizations would be, would be pleased, um, pleased to actually get. So we ended up studying, um, well, we had several thousand responses, but we only wanted to study sales organizations, those people that could comment on companies of, with sales forces of a certain size. Uh, so our averages were in the several hundreds in terms of how large the, the sales organizations were. Um, it was global, so we had 57% from the Americas, 20% from Europe, Middle East, Africa, and 15% from uh, Asia Pacific. 
we studied 80% management, but we also wanted responses from sellers to be able to see, hey, do the sellers answer these questions differently about their culture, about their training, about their value, differently than leadership? And the organizations were from mid-size to large, with uh, most of them somewhere in the hundreds of millions, uh, with at least about 27% in organizations that were a billion dollars and more. And what we found is that the organizations that achieved those um, those results actually did some things and approached some things quite differently uh, than the group that we called the rest. So the top performers were the top 20% of the database in these factors, and the rest were the 80% that didn't meet the targets that we set. That was the research. Mm. Interesting. The, I, I saw that in your notes and I got such a kick out of it. You actually capitalized the R in rest, the top performers and the rest. Did, did mm-hmm. you tell them, did you tell those organizations you fell into the 80% of what mediocrity, do not care, not stepping up, not aware, uh, not on the top of your game? How did you break the news to them? Did you identify did, them in Did the I results? tell them? Did I make them stand in the corner and do penance yeah. for, for, for not doing as well? Yeah. No, no, we didn't do that. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, people took the study and they got the results, so they don't necessarily you know, know where where they fell. But I think that, you know, in the oh seventy five or so conversations I've had with people that have taken the study and as well gone through some of the results, they tell me where they are. They say we're we're certainly not in the top performers. We're in the rest. We have this problem, that problem, and this problem. But what this kind of research does is it allows you to have an organizing framework to be able to see through the, uh, the, the, the drowning um, in all of the different things that organizations could do better and be able to organize and pinpoint things that, given where we are in our process of growing up, so to speak, in the maturation of our sales force, what should we do next to actually get better results? And I think that's the value is not in uh, knowing where you are and either being happy or having a little sob. Uh, it's for those leaders that are intent on doing something different to drive their organization to be mm-hmm. able to sort out what to do. Mm, a good, very good point. Thank you. Tamara, thoughts on what Mike just shared with us, and then we'll ask Barbara in a moment. Tamara? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we, uh, we see in our research <clears throat> done by CSO Insights uh, a similar results uh, in, in terms of what, world-class performers do differently, and there's always a question, do we look at the individuals or at the organization, and uh, we follow different approaches to determine that. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, what we definitely see there is in in, in the top-performing segments, there is always a very strong focus on the customer's needs and Mm -hmm. uh, what's valuable to them. And the sales process landscape is aligned to the customer's journey. What we see then there is these organizations, they have much better revenue and they have better quota attainment. They simply perform better. <clears throat> so uh, this is something that definitely that we see across all the studies we do um, over the years. And the notion of having a formal sales process, what we call a, a dynamic sales process, even better. That means I always adjust it from time to time to the changed customer's journey, which is necessary to be up to date. And that brings us back to the learning, why this is so important. And these organizations, they really can uh, deliver sustainable sales results and sales performance. 
Thank you, Tamara. I want you to bring in the idea of where social selling as a needed training comes in. I don't think you mentioned that yet. Do you want to give us some statistics on that in your 2015 sales enablement optimization study by CSO Insights? (laughs) Go ahead. I I think it's time to to bring that in. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that was... um, yeah, the first sales enablement study we did on a global basis in 2015, and we are currently already working on the next one for this year. So one of the findings was that we um, wanted to know how effective or different training content and coaching service, and it was a central theme across all enablement services that those who actually have to be defined from the customer's journey, uh, that they show the lowest, um, the lowest level of effectiveness. And what we see in the social scene, and, and, and Barb will definitely comment on that, <laughs> I hope so, is that the, um, the trend started, the discipline started uh, very focused, being very focused on technology. So what you've seen in the market, whereas we do social selling, and that means we made a LinkedIn training, or we, we know now how to use all these different social networks. But social selling is much more than an attitude and knowing how to use technology. It has to be implemented in the sales system because if I want to, um, if I want my salespeople to connect and engage with prospects and customers, they need the right content. So I need to involve the content creating part of the company. So marketing, it's very often an enablement role. And I need to integrate this as a methodology in my current sales methodologies along the customer's journey. And it's, it's not only a prospecting thing. I can use all the social um, methodologies throughout the entire customer's journey. And that's what we see. There is a need to really implement the idea of social selling. We call it social engagement because it's actually more um, than that um, uh, in, in the entire sales, sales system. And that needs a collaboration between sales enablement, marketing, and also sales operations. Thank you, Tamara. Barbara Giamanco, this is right up your alley because you're the head of social-centered selling. I said it right. There we go, a lot of alliteration. <laughs> Barbara, thoughts on what Tamara just, expl- just explained in, in the CSO Insights 2015 Sales Enablement Optimization Study. Boy, we got a lot of long titles here today. Barbara, what are your thoughts? Well, absolutely. I, I'm thrilled that uh, that the research supports what I've known personally and professionally for years. I mean, so much of the conversation around social selling, Bonnie, ends up being very low-level tactical kinds of things. And 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 yes, there are things you're going to do, but but then there are sales organizations are often not making sure that their team members are getting the the right kind of uh, learning and development so that they learn how to use social channels strategically as part of the overall sales process. As uh, Tamara said, it's got to be integrated and formalized into the sales process. Marketing and sales have to work together. But instead what happens, we have a lot of noise out there telling people, just share content, just do this, just do that. And what ends up happening is the channels are being used for new vehicles for spam. So I, you know, the work that I have done with customers has always taken the approach that you come in and you design a system, then you figure out what is the right skills development and training that needs to go into all of that, what are the processes that are going to be there to support it, where are the handoff points, how do sellers leverage content, what's the right content and messaging that they should be communicating out there to potential prospects and customers and able to, you know, so that they can continue to support the brand. So what I love about this conversation 
Is this bringing the whole thing home? This is a, a strategic approach. And then, and not only that, the technology only enables and it's only part of the process. And frankly, it just helps to open the door. But once you then have the opportunity to have that sales meeting, if you don't do the things that sales winners do differently, which is one of my all-time favorite reports from Rain Group, then mm-hmm. what difference did all of that technology make? Right, so there's this this tendency, I feel like, Tamara said it too, people focus on the tools, then the next piece of technology, but you know, people still do business with people, and so it's a holistic approach that needs to be uh, taken, I think, and, and I think at a certain point in time, Bonnie, honestly, we'll just stop saying social selling, and we'll just get back to calling it sales and selling, mm-hmm. because that's what it is, right? It's a cohesive process, and there's tools and technology that's part of it, but my goodness, the ongoing learning development and the people skills that you've got to have to be a great salesperson, I just think there needs to be a lot more focus and investment there. Thank you, Barbara. And I'm going to have Mike Schultz chime in, but one comment here, Barbara. I'm looking at the notes you sent me, and you say that sales leaders need to accept that how their salespeople sell is more important than what they sell. Hasn't this always been the case? You know, they've always said, Barbara, way back in the day, uh, people who are good salespeople can sell anything. They can sell a toaster. They can sell a men's suit, high-end. They can sell a car. They could probably sell an airplane or a piece of property. That people who know how to sell know how to sell. Has that changed? Or is it because of, and, and pardon me for introducing the concept of generational learning curves and cohorts of demographics in the workforce today and especially in the sales force. Is that changing because of this new shiny new thing or this nasty new thing called social selling? Is this changing how people who really are good at selling now aren't so good because they don't have those new tools? Barb, any comments? Yeah, well, I, you know, again, I think that what's it's always been important, but I think what's happening now is because we have technology, um, people are looking for shortcuts in the sales process, and it just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But I think the more important driver here is buyers, buyers' expectations and behavior. Um, you know, if they're doing early-stage research, then the last thing they need is a rep who shows up to give them the, the feature pitch. You know, so, so I think really thinking about do your salespeople, in fact, Jonathan Farrington of Top Sales World posted a great blog uh, on his LinkedIn profile today talking about this. You know, are your salespeople at level one, which is, you know, demo dollies and people who are able to pitch features, are they at level two where they're moving into being more consultative uh, sales folks, or are they moving to level three, which I think speaks to uh, Mike's research along with, you know, the Rain Group, what sales winners do differently. Are they moving to a level three where they're really that consultative you know, problem-solving type of salesperson. So it's always been important, Bonnie, but I think the, the technology is, is tending to cause people to think that they can use technology to shortcut a great sales approach. Mm-hmm. Just my take on and it. Thank you, and nice segue into Mr. Rain Group here on the show. Mike Schultz, thoughts on what Tamara introduced and what Barbara has commented on? What do you see, Mike? Uh, sure. Well, it's always fun to hear people that are really sharp and focused on good research. There's lots of bad research out there, so I love listening to uh, Barb and Tamara talk about some good ones. I kind of feel like, you know, you have smart people looking at similar things in different places, uh, and if you're good, you find the same kinds of themes. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some pretty bad research out there, so I feel like, you know, being the guys at Harvard listening to what the guys at Yale are looking at. So it's a lot of fun. 
Um, we found similar things in terms of, of sales process, uh, and we look at it in a similar kind of way. It shouldn't just be defined, uh, but in which was number three on our, you know, level three on our maturity process. But if it's actually provides specific guidance for sellers how to sell, uh, and four, it's con- and, and number five, it's adaptive, it's constantly being proved, improved, it has a huge difference on actual business results, like win rates. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, Tamara mentioned, you know, that you know, being mapped to the, the buying journey or the buyer cycle, we actually in the top performing uh, sales organization research that we, we just published last month, uh, we asked questions about the value that the sellers bring to the table. I know that's a, a consultant buzzword. We can talk about what we mean by that. But when sellers answered five questions and the, the leaders of the sales organizations answered five questions uh, all the same way, we called them value-driving sales organizations. So those questions were that our sales organization focuses on driving maximum value to the customer. Our sales force is aligned with the way our customers prefer to buy from us. Our sales process is customer-focused and maps to our buyer's buying process. Our sales process is flexible to apply to buyers' various roles and situations. And our company leaders prioritize developing sellers to be as valuable as possible. When they answered and they agreed with all of those uh, answers, and 16% of our database did, we called them value-driving sales organizations. They had, and these value-driving sales organizations had higher win rates, uh, they had lower uh, turnover and lower unwanted turnover in their sales organizations, mm-hmm. uh, and they had a much more highly motivated sales force. So the concept of value, and that's why we ask the questions about leaders, you know, everyone talks about value. If you meet anyone in a conference, uh, 10 out of 10 will say, well, the value we bring to our clients is what makes the difference, but not 10 out of 10 are actually uh, um, realistic about that. And when you actually get someone to tell you uh, about their sales culture, they'll say, yeah, we talk about value, but what we really need to do is hit quota and shove a lot of product forward or else we're all fired. (laughs) That's not necessarily value driving, but when the organization really believes it and they're willing to put the processes and training and structures in place to reinforce that, it actually does produce um, better results. So I'm thrilled to hear about the other research, and I think that um, you know, we're entering a new dawn of people being more scientific about how they look at selling. You mentioned before, hey, you know, hasn't it always been true when sellers knew how to sell, they knew how to sell, and when they didn't, it didn't, and they could sell the, the freezer to the Eskimo kind of thing? Well, you know, uh, sure, but uh, what it was 20 years ago when buyers literally had to talk to sellers to find out about product and what it's like now is wildly different. Uh, so, um, you know, it sounds like... Um, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but you know, selling and buying is changing faster in the last oh, five, ten years than it had in the last 100. And that's why I think we're starting to see really smart people uh, take a more analytical approach to say, well, what's happening? And not how do we not fall behind, but the good ones are saying, how do we look at this to take advantage of how we can really get ahead? And as we do, uh, as we do all the research that we do, uh, we see huge opportunities for companies that are willing to lead companies that are willing to change uh, to have much better sales results. Mm, Thank you. Tamara, thoughts, please? Love to have you join (laughs) us. Um, Yeah, one comment to uh, the how to sell issue. So um, I agree to what Mike just said. The how to sell decades ago was pretty much focused on how to sell a product because at this time uh, without Internet and how we know it today, 
uh, there was an information advantage on the side of the sell- salespeople, and this is no longer the case. Um, product features and what it is and what it does, this is what I can uh, see online, but what it means to the buyer, that's the difference, and this is how how to sell evolved over time, and this is why the change and the transformation that's necessary is so huge, um, because <clears throat> how to sell is now what it means to the customer, and that's what's valuable to them, and that's always different, because customers, especially in complex B2B, uh, situations, they make every decision differently because some decision criteria are differently, the different stakeholders, the, the challenge, the environment is different, the outcome should be different, whatever it is. But what's valuable to, to them, that's what the buying team actually decides. And this it goes beyond, oh, I have great return on investment, I can offer you great cost savings. This is no longer uh, a differentiating value in itself. The question is, though, what does this cost saving kit mean for the business case of the customer organization? How can I add value uh, to their top line or their bottom line, whatever it is? And that's a challenge because I have to translate what my products and services can do to the customer's business to make a difference in, in, in their business results. And this is why this whole idea of how I called it this customer core value messaging is so important because we, we are no longer in a, in a time where it's about having one value proposition. This is something very specific I need at some point in, in, in the buying phase that I need different kind of value messages when I talk to prospects to just explore a completely new situation or if I'm in a situation with a customer who thinks about to renew or not to renew a contract. So I need different kind of value messages. And that's a big challenge for enablement to provide these value messages for different scenarios, virals, industries, business challenges, and so on. And then it's, it's a training, it's a learning issue because salespeople have to be fluent in this different kind of conversation. And then, of course, coaching comes into place. What's the role of frontline sales managers? They have to coach their teams uh, exactly um, in, in this kind of messaging and having these kind of conversations. Thank you, Tamara. I want to introduce a couple of terms that are new to me from the notes you sent me before the show, and I think it's a great segue from what you were just discussing, Tamara. You talk about a strategic issue segueing from the knowledge share economy to the learning share economy. And the question, mm-hmm. the strategic <laughs> issue is, how can sales enablement evolve the knowledge share economy to a learning share economy? And share economy, everyone, is one word in, in Tamara's lingo to ensure sustainable sales results. Tamara, just let me read a little bit here. I think this is interesting. You say the primary goal of yeah, the knowledge... Is- <laughs> can I, just let me read this a couple of sentences here and have you comment. You say the primary goal of the knowledge share economy is to establish a collaborative and sharing-oriented culture that enables salespeople to find content and best practices at their fingertips when they need them. The principles of the knowledge share economy are sharing over hoarding, hmm, authorship over ownership, hmm, and knowledge flow versus knowledge stocks. Then you add, the secondary goal is to transform the sales organization into a learning organization. This transformation requires the knowledge share economy to evolve into a learning share economy. A lot of good stuff here. Tamara, you want to just explain a little more, and then we'll get Barbara's and Mike's (laughs) input on this? Go ahead, Tamara. Yeah, uh, thanks, Bonnie, for pointing this out. So this was uh, a world play, <laughs> how we came to the term knowledge share economy. <clears throat> uh, 
um, it is really to, to take the whole discussion of enablement content management platforms to another level because uh, very often those platforms or solutions um, have a barrier and that's not the technology and that's probably not the content. It is people who are not used to share and not used to work in a collaborative way in a platform. That's especially a challenge for sales organization because Decades ago, it was this kind of, I'm the lonely hero uh, salesperson. I could be successful at this time. This is no longer working, especially in complex environments. People have to work in teams. While they're saying, hey, guys, we have enough competition outside. Let's please collaborate internally to ensure that we can have the best outcome mm-hmm. with our customers. And this is where sharing over hoarding uh, comes from. And also it's about, uh, it's not I own an account, I own territory, I own this, I own that. No, we don't own a customer. And it's the same with content. The authorship is important. Where does it come from? We then share it. Um, and to evolve this, to make it really happen that everybody has an advantage from it, it requires a lot of sales leadership, actually sales leaders to walk the talk as well. It's nothing I can delegate to salespeople mm-hmm. just with a bit of technology. It's a more holistic approach than to come to um, a learning share economy. Yeah. Thank you. Good points. Barbara Giamanco, thoughts? This is interesting. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, I think it's great stuff because obviously I'm a personal believer in ongoing learning and development. And um, Tamara's absolutely right. There's a lot of hoarding. Um, people are thinking about, look, I just got to focus on, you know, what it takes for me to make my quota. And I think if we're going to get to the place where better customer experiences starting from the very beginning are going to happen, then sales leadership really does need to start expecting people to, you know, to, to, to be thinking more like team members. I mean, yes, we need to make quota, but, you know, everybody needs to make quota in order for the whole organization to be successful. So, I, you know, I just love that approach, and I think it's long overdue, actually, long overdue. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Mike Schultz, I know you have something to chime in here. No, nothing for me. I don't have anything to chime in. I'm just oh, kidding. you don't? Okay. <laughs> well, well, stop me. Stop me in my tracks again. Go ahead, Mike. Share economy, knowledge share economy, learning share economy. What's the perspective of the Rain Group on this? Yeah. So let's just uh, start from uh, focus for a minute on that idea of value. So, in another study that we did on strategic account management, uh, we studied. Uh, the various things that those that had better revenue growth in their strategic accounts, better profit growth in their strategic accounts, uh, and as well, at the same time, had uh, better uh, growth in customer satisfaction. So they sold more, they made more, and they made people happy. The biggest gap that we found Mm -hmm. between the, the groups that did really well with that and the groups that didn't was in two questions. One of them was, how effective is your company's process to, collab- to collaborate internally uh, to assess and identify additional value you can bring to the accounts? It was almost three times as much the high performers uh, did that than the, than the average and below average performers. And then, not just internally, but how effective is your company's process to work collaboratively with your strategic accounts to co-create value in new and innovative ways? And it was an even larger gap. So 51% of the high performers 
uh, agreed that their process was effective or very effective, and only 18% of the average and below average performers believe that. So if you think about, and this was you know, not just new, you know, new this was uh, four years ago, uh, but if you think about it, for those of us that are selling in organizations of any size, we all know certain areas better than others. And what happens with sellers is they end up selling the area that they know and leaving all of this value exchange on the table. The things that they bought the rest of what we could do for them, uh, they would be thrilled with us and their satisfaction would go higher, but I don't know how to bring it to the table. But if you can have your sellers be better leaders, so it's not just about selling skills, but to be able to get the proper team together at their organization and say, not how I can deliver more value, but how can we as an organization deliver more value and get the right people in the room? You can, the, the ideas almost come fast and furious that when you have the right minds together, you can make a difference for your buyers. And the selling team gets all excited about bringing it forth. And this is all about changing the way that organizations operate their sales forces the expectations mm-hmm. that they have, and the skills that they give them. They don't need to be an expert on everything, but they need to be the entrepreneurial leader that drives growth in their accounts, almost like you know, an entrepreneur drives growth in a market by mm-hmm. figuring out how to make the biggest difference and then or- orchestrating all of their resources to do that. Thank you, Mike. Guess what? We are at the crystal ball predictions round, but we've been talking predictively during the whole show. So I think for a wrap-up, it would be appropriate to give you each exactly one minute. You know I love the year 2020. Yeah, we have four minutes left. Thank you, Michael, my engineer. Uh, I love the year 2020. It's getting closer and closer every time we raise the champagne for New Year's Eve. 2020 is looming large around the horizon. So let's focus on 2020. What would be different about this conversation? Just one minute each. Let's predict to 2020 what your predictions you think might be on business network innovation. And we've been focusing on the share economy and on selling organizations and enablement, doing it better in B2B. So Barbara Giamanco, 60 seconds. Predict to 2020 for me, just 60 seconds, and then Mike and Tamara. Go ahead, Barbara. Uh, yeah, well, in 2020, I think that salespeople and <laughs> sales organizations will embody all the principles and things that we've been talking about, and that we'll see that number rise dramatically when you go back and ask customers about the customer experience, right? If it's at 1% today, if 1% feel like vendors don't deliver, wouldn't it be wonderful if we got way past the 50% mark by 2020 or sooner? That way you are certainly an optimist, my friend. Keep pouring that lemon and making <laughs> lemonade. You're making a lot of lemonade there, and I love it. Thank you. Mike Schultz, talk to me. 60 seconds. What do you predict for 2020, Mike? Well, I'm going to predict that human nature doesn't change, and I'm going to predict that uh, leadership in organizations doesn't, nece- that it doesn't get necessarily any better or more sophisticated than it is now. Sales organizations in some ways are more like children than anything else. And so are sellers in that no matter how you dress them up, no matter what lipstick you put on them, they still grow up as fast as they're supposed to and they grow up as well as they're parented. So I think if organizations are going to embody all the things that we're talking about, we're going to need to make some really good parents out of folks that kind of don't care about this stuff. So if they let their kids just run around the house and they're not driving them to the things that are going to make them successful adults, then I think there are a lot of organizations are still going to be spinning around. I think the technology is going to change. I think in the last five years, we've had things like LinkedIn that have created a whole new way to communicate that we hadn't necessarily thought of. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's going to happen again. 
but I think that there will still be a huge spectrum of things that organizations and sellers need to learn and be better at that are the core things that we've been talking about today. If by 2020 they pick up half of it, I think that they'll get uh, a lot more success uh, and a lot more revenue growth. Thank you. I like that. Also very optimistic. And you are a good parent and you are a wonderful dad. And we applaud you, Mike Schultz. And you know everything of good wishes that goes along with that. And Tamara Schenk calling in from Germany, CSO Insights. What are your, I give you exactly 60 seconds for predictions. Go ahead, Tamara. What do you see in 2020? <laughs> um, I see that organizations um, really know how to align their uh, sales landscape to the customer's journey and it will be even more. They will work completely backwards from the customer's journey and then see what they really need to, uh, to control their, uh, to manage their organization internally. So we will have the discussion the other way around. Uh, we will be supported by technology um, that's totally focused on mobile and on apps. And... Um, <clears throat> We will um, also see that the different point solutions that are currently out there are much more integrated and better integrated, and we will have um, a totally different discussion on sales leadership. Because at this time, uh, I really hope we have made a lot of progress in enabling our, especially our frontline sales managers and the frontline sales leaders to drive the change and to drive um, uh, the transformation we need. So align and execute customer course strategies with passion and compassion. Ah, there's some buzzwords to live by. Thank you very much. Barbara Giamanco, <laughs> Social Centered Selling, Mike Schultz, Rain Group, and only sunshine for you, Mike, my friend. That's what we're wishing for you and your family. And Tamara Shank, CSO Insights. See, I did pronounce your name right, Tamara. I promised you. Shout out to Jeannie Tran at SAP Ariba for renewing the Business Innovation Series and renaming it Business Network Innovation. And bravo to Barbara, Mike, and Tamara for being my debut panel on season two kickoff there that's a mouthful too thank you also to michael and the business channel team for getting us on the air and and keeping us on the air we have some new series coming up on tuesdays next week we start the future of cars with game changers you don't want to miss that one that's tuesdays 10 a.m eastern here on the business channel and the week after that we're debuting another new series the extended supply chain of the future and today we debuted a new series called the future of the future with game changers yeah think we have a future view here at game changers radio i'll leave the answer up to you i'm bonnie d graham i'll talk to you tomorrow morning 11 a.m right here eastern time on the business channel with coffee break with game changers you don't want to miss this one coaching or mentoring what's coming up for new and small businesses in 2016 so here's my call to action Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? It's a new year. Go out and be a game changer. Don't wait. Right now, today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Business Network Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.